Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Cornerstone College Ministries podcast. My name is Blake Brown, and you're about to listen to our midweek Bible study for the fall 2022 semester. Uh, This semester, we're covering prophecies that are fulfilled by Christ, looking at Old Testament passages about the Messiah, and then seeing where and how Christ fulfills them in the New Testament, and what that means for us today. I hope you enjoy as we study God's perfect word. We're looking at prophecies fulfilled. That is the emblem on the screen behind me. Looking at areas of scripture where they talk about the Messiah and then where those are fulfilled ultimately in scripture or we will, will be fulfilled um, in the future and have been fulfilled in the past. We looked at a lot of them. We looked at Christ's birth. We looked at his death. We looked at his some of his life. Um, last week we saw a the next big event that that concerned Jesus Christ that will be fulfilled. Um, what was that event? The rapture. The rapture. Um, if you weren't here, I would tell you to go back on the um, podcast that we have and listen to it. But somehow I got 30 seconds of the podcast uh, recorded <laughs> yesterday or last week. So, sorry. <laughs> Come ask me questions if you have any questions about that or stuff. Um, unfortunately, it will not be available. Um Jesus will come together, though, and ultimately he'll gather the church to himself as the bride of Christ. There's going to be a seven-year tribulation. We looked at that. Today we're going to look at the time period after the seven years. We're going to look at that. So we are looking tonight at the second coming and thousand-year kingdom. We see so much of the prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament, and they talk about him being a king, right? Uh, King David was actually promised that his son would sit on the throne forever. Um, so, what chapter of the Bible is the Davidic covenant found in? Second Samuel seven. I had to repeat it back to me like five times that night. Um, yeah, Second Samuel seven. A actual prophecy we looked at as a son of David that he would sit on the throne forever. Um, but where's the throne in Jerusalem? No, right? It's not there. Um, Jesus is not here on earth like the old. Uh, Testament prophets said he would be with this like becoming a king and reigning with the rod of iron and all that kind of things happening. So in fact, where is the person of Jesus Christ right now? Yes, right hand throne of God. In the book of Acts chapter 7, we see the stoning of Stephen, not the Stephen who was singing a couple minutes ago, but um, and he says stuff people don't like. And they're going to kill him. And here's what he says right before he dies. He says, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Right, so this, uh, Sorry. Yeah, so at the right hand of God. So he's there at the right hand of God, not at the throne of David here in Jerusalem on earth, like it's prophesied about. Um, something about this prophecy then was not fulfilled in Jesus' first coming to the earth. Right? So he came the first time. He came, he died, he rose from the dead, and then he ascended to heaven. Remember, the apostles were sitting there in Matthew 28-ish. and He's talking to them and saying, um, the Great Commission, right? Go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lo, I'm with you always at the end of the age. And he just like, oh, goes up on the Mount of Olives. Um, and then the angels come down and like, what are y'all doing sitting here? Go do what he said to do, basically. Um, so he has not physically returned to the earth since that time. And last week we saw the rapture. Does he return to the earth then? No. no. What do you mean? Comes in the clouds. Yeah, it says it comes in the clouds. 
um, and we'll meet him together with the clouds and we'll always be with the Lord. So he ascends back up to heaven at that time. But there will be a day when he will return. Um, he'll return with righteousness and judgment. And he will rule the world for a thousand years, it says. So let's look at that. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. We're mainly going to be in Matthew 24 and then in Revelation. Um, kind of two places. There's so many places you can turn to in the Bible for this time period. But there's are two main places we're going to look at tonight. Have a bookmark or something, or a little like ribbon might be good to put it here because we're going to maybe go back and forth with some, not very much, but some. Um, Jesus was happening in Matthew 24. He has been talking about the, he just got done talking about the, the tribulation. Uh, the seven year tribulation is going to happen. He quotes Daniel and says, When the abomination of desolation happens, run. Right? He says, like, don't, If you're in the field, just go. Don't get your coat, just go. If you're on the housetop, just I don't know if he's like implying you just jump off and go. I don't. It's like don't go downstairs, just run. Um, but just get out of there, basically. When this happens, it's going to have a great tribulation that's happening there. Um, now he retur- returns to this object, the subject of his return. So look at Matthew twenty-four, verse twenty-three. It says, "I think I actually have this." Yeah, sorry. Um, if anyone says to you, this is Matthew twenty-four, verse twenty-three. If anyone says to you, "Behold, here's the Christ," or "There he is," do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great sounds and wonders, so as to mislead, even if possible, the elect, even if possible, the believers. Behold, I have told you in advance. So if they say to you, Behold, it's in the wilderness, don't go out. Or, Behold, it's in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from east, flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. So he said, If you hear during the tribulation that Christ has come, Jesus says, No. Right? No, don't go out there. He's like, you're going to be aware when I come back, ultimately. Um, he says that, don't worry about it, because as lightning flashes from the east even to the west, that's what's going to be like when Christ returns. Um, how far away is the east from the west? Very far. But also like right here, right? It's like, which way is <laughs> west, east? I'm trying to get the, my directions straight. Um, they meet for me like, here right but then sort of well i mean as in like from right here my Wait, west is this way right? that way, that way. Right yeah so my my like my direct if i was to head west right now where would i go <coughs> that way yes <laughs> if i had to go east right now where would i go <laughs> this way right and so it would am i wrong Am I not getting that? Okay. Uh, I think my directions are right. Um, So I would, um, basically those kind of meet, so to speak, right here, but it's not, they don't actually like meet technically. It's just the directions, right? But where do, do north and south ever meet? Where? The poles, right? Where Santa lives. Um, North pole, south pole, whatever. That's like north and south right there. But there's not like a east, west, like you just keep going. Right, kind of. Anyways, east to the west, the entire sky, everywhere, lightning flash. What's going to be like whenever Christ returns? So as far as you can see, as far as you can see, like everything, like it's going to be lit. You're going to know whenever Christ comes. Uh, so don't worry about it. If they don't believe them, if they say Christ is there, like lightning across the entire sky, it says wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. What? Uh, I don't know. It's included in the Bible for some reason. So let's keep reading. I keep that in our minds. See what he says and keep going. Uh, verse 20, 29. 
But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. He will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds one uh, from one end of the sky to the other. Well, we still have no context of the vultures, but whatever. So immediately after the tribulation, the sun is darkened, and the moon has no light, and the stars fall from the sky. That alone is terrifying. Um, if we were outside in the middle of the day, and then suddenly the sun went dark, and it wasn't just that, but there's like also no moon and no stars at that time. It's a clear day. Uh, and it was like 2 p.m. We'd be like, what in the world? Now, it might feel like that's happening now because of time change. But in all reality, we would be like freaking out if it just, you're just walking around and it's like, it just goes. It's already scary or weird enough whenever there's a, like a lunar eclipse or solar eclipse. Like over, It's like, whoa, it's like 30% brightness outside. Um, it's really weird. So that happens, and so that's going to be a pretty clear sign. And then um, I, if that happened whenever, if it wasn't supposed to happen, we would be shook, right? Thoroughly shook. Um, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. All the people of the earth are going to see this. All the nations are going to, are going to see this and, and mourn because of it. And so, what is the sign of the Son of Man? Is it a cross? Is it a lion? Is it a lamb? Um, I don't know. But everyone's going to know what it represents. Because they're all going to see it and know what it means. So somehow, it's going to be like a sign in the, in the sky that says that. And it says that at that point, all believers from all over the world will be brought together that are on the earth. Jesus then goes on to describe how these are the signs of his return, kind of in the next part of it. That's about a fig tree and the signs of like it budding and stuff. Um, so when you see them to be ready for his return. And then look at Matthew 25, 31, right after some parables about the kingdom. He says, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Right? He's going to finally sit on the throne that's been prophesied about all the way back in 2 Samuel 7. Yes. Um, so by the 24 to 25, we see some details about Christ's return there. All right, so here's kind of some details that we have. It's going to be, oh, whoops. So here's kind of the timeline, um, just real quick. So we had this, a uh, couple weeks ago, the Creator rebuilt Jerusalem. We said about this much time until this happened. 483 plus 7 is 77, just 490 years. Um, so talking about the rapture last week. We had this seven-year tribulation. It's talking about this time right here, the second coming of Christ. Um. At the 24, 25, we have some details about this return. So we have, hopefully you can read that if you can't. I am really sorry. Um, it's after the tribulation. It is, everyone's going to know what is happening, or when it's happening at least. Um, vultures, something, right? Um, the sun and the moon are darkened, and there's a sign of the Son of Man, and he gathers believers on earth to himself. So that's kind of the, the gist of what's going on um, from Matthew 24, but the second coming of Christ. Now turn to Revelation 19, starting in verse 7. We see here the marriage supper of the Lamb. Um, so who is the Lamb of God? Jesus. It's the churchiest answer, y'all. Come on. Jesus, right? Um, the Lamb of God. Um, who is the bride of Christ? The church. Okay, so it's the marriage of the Lamb, it's the marriage of the church to Christ. Right? Um, the only group of people who have been called the bride of Christ is the church. It's going to describe this marriage supper and this uh, thing and then talk about Christ's return. So look at Revelation 19, verse 7. 
Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous act of the saints. So the fine clothes that they are wearing are their righteous acts of the believers. The good that they've done, which really is just Christ doing good through them. The good that they've done, and the, the times they've chosen to abide and walk in the Spirit and like do what God wants them to do. They're clothed with these righteous acts. And that's, that's kind of... Um, the representation of their their clothing is a representation of their righteous acts they've done right as they were believers here on this earth um so for example if this talking about the church and then the church has been raptured out and they're with christ and there's a marriage supper and it's a bride of christ then what will we be clothed with like we personally as believers our righteous acts hopefully we have more than a loincloth right <laughs> Yeah, full wedding dress, like like the different layers. Um, not right, cool. Um, that's kind of the goal, right? Their clothes are bright, white, and clean. The angel goes on and is talking to John, honestly, is what's happening here. So John is being talked to by an angel, and it goes on. So look at uh, verse 9. It says, Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. The testimony of Jesus is in, is in this uh, is the spirit of prophecy. John starts worshiping this angel. Angel's like, don't do that. Stop that right now. I am the servant of God just like you. That is all. Worship God. Then look what happens, though, in verse 11. Then I saw, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, many crowns, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses." This passage is probably one of my favorite passages in Scripture. I mean, like, that's a pretty lit description of Jesus. Um, it's amazing. He has eyes of fire. He has many crowns on his head. There's a name on him that no one knows except himself, whatever that means. Uh, he's wearing a robe dipped in blood. Like, that's incredible. Who's coming with him? An army, right? Who's the army? We are. The church. How do you know that? Because they're wearing white. I was studying this passage um, a little bit ago, like a couple of years ago maybe, kind of more in depth. And I was looking at this section, but I started just in verse 11. And I was like studying. I'm like, who? this could be angels. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's the church. We say it's the church, but it could be angels. And I was like, how do we know it's not angels? And then I read like the previous five verses. And it's like, they're clothed in white linen. I was like, oh, that makes sense. Okay. So it just described them as being clothed in fine linen. And then we're coming down with him on white horses. Everyone here know how to ride a horse? We're probably going to know how to at least. I'm, I'm guessing we're going to be like falling off the horse as we come down with Jesus. <laughs> um, be pretty unfortunate. So we were with Jesus in heaven after the rapture, right? So we were with Jesus in heaven. And then after that, there's the marriage supper of the Lamb at some point up there. And then the heavens open and he comes on the second coming. Look at verse 15 of Revelation 19. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. In the Bible, when you see the nations versus like Israel, the nations versus the church, the nations only refer to the unbelievers. So, may um, he strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in the mid-heaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of commanders, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, and small and great. I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on his horse and against his army. Things are amping up, right? <laughs> That's what we get from this. He comes out of the heavens. Uh, the sky was torn apart and he comes down. And he has a sword coming out of his mouth to strike down the nations, the unbelievers. And he has the king of kings, lord of lords written on his thigh. Uh, we have an angel cry out and call all the birds to assemble to feast on the carcasses of the people that Jesus is about to slaughter. What a power play, right? It's like, go ahead and get the birds because uh, I'm about to destroy these people. And notice, it's not just that there's people like running away in terror. They're there to fight Christ, which to us is like, what are you doing? Uh, but there's so much stuff going on in this tribulation that we didn't get into um, that's like, it doesn't make sense, but like you can maybe see some of the crazy th things people do. So they're all there, like, ready to just put on a battle against Christ. And we finally know what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 24, where he said, where the corpses are, there the vultures will gather, right? We have the context in Revelation for what he means there in Matthew. So all unbelievers are going to make war on Christ, the Antichrist. It's the beast is the Antichrist leading them. It's a quick end. Look at verse 20. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who had worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. So Antichrist and his false prophet thrown into the lake of fire. The rest are killed. All the birds feed on their flesh. This is the second coming of Christ to the earth. Um, first of all, it's very different than his first coming, wouldn't you say? Um, also it's different than the rapture the things we saw about the rapture were pretty different than what we see here um, what we see with the rapture which could happen now right? it didn't happen then but we see the rapture it's in the clouds um, the believers get off the earth Christ is goes back to heaven there's no judging that he does here on earth um, there's no signs for it it could happen any moment it's only discussed really in the New Testament the second coming though Christ comes to the earth Believers are here on earth with him after it happens. Um, Christ rules as king on earth. Remember back in Matthew it says after he comes, he will sit on his heavenly throne. He'll sit on his throne. Uh, Christ rules as king here on earth. He judges. There are many signs. Remember, he's like, Jesus was literally like, there's going to be signs. Here are the signs of me coming. So make sure when those things are happening, you're ready for me to come. But with the rapture, it's like, any moment, twinkling of an eye, we don't know. Um, it's mentioned also in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Which makes sense because the Old Testament prophesied about Christ's coming, right? About of the Messiah reigning on a throne and coming to the earth to judge. Uh, New Testament, they didn't even know the church was a mystery in the Old Testament. They didn't know about it. So Christ return. And we also add a few things here to the list from Matthew twenty four. So we had the list here, twenty four. Now we're adding, well, there's a marriage supper and then a return. Um, heaven opens, right? Uh, whenever he comes. Jesus is on a white horse. He has a robe dipped in blood. He has a sword out of his mouth to cut down the nations, and the vultures eat the corpses. So I have information about the vultures now. Cool. Are you all tracking with me so far? Nice. Now we're going to move on to the kingdom that Christ sets up. 
So look at Revelation chapter 20. Um, we're just kind of in chapter 19, so it's pretty easy to go down and look at 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key to, of the abyss, and had a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who was the devil and Satan. Who is this? The person that's been grabbed? Satan, right? In case you didn't know, right, who it was. It's the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil, and Satan, right? Like all the names out there, right? Um, bound him for a thousand years, and he threw him into the abyss, and he shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Satan is bound, put into a pit or an abyss of some sort for 1,000 years. He does not deceive again until the 1,000 years are over. Um, I think about just how different it would be if there just wasn't a Satan to deal with right? <laughs> in this world. Like, wow. There'd be a third of our enemies would be gone. Uh, as in, like, we have, what are our three enemies in the Christian life? Um, the world, the flesh. The devil, right? The world, the flesh, and the devil. And if you're like one of those gone, you're like, whoo, wow, okay. Um, right now, the world system also is against living for Christ, right? You see, the culture around us is against that. It's it's pushing different values, different things to do, uh, rather than what we see in the Bible. And then we have obviously our own flesh internally that's pulling us um, to not do the things that we're supposed to do. So, devil's bound, put in a pit for a thousand years, so will not deceive until the thousand years is over. Look at verse four. Then I saw thrones. And they sat on them, and on judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, the Antichrist or his image, and had not received a mark on their forehead or on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. People sit on thrones and they're given judgment. And it says that these are the people who were beheaded for um, being believers in the tribulation time. And they're brought to life. And they reign with Christ for 1,000 years. This means that they're reigning, right? They, like, they have authority with Christ in the kingdom. The rest did not come to life um, and for the thousand year reign, they were not part of this first resurrection. We're going to go over the second death next time we have a lesson. Um, so I'm not going to go into that right now. Um, but it says again in verse 6 that they will reign with Christ for 1,000 years. So we also see in Daniel 12.2 that at this time, the Old Testament believers will be raised from the dead. So after tribulation, Daniel 12.2 talks about how um, the believers in the Old Testament are raised from the dead and they reign with Christ then. In Luke 19, we see the parable of the minas. If you're here in the summer with us, then we kind of talked about that. Um, a mina is a measurement of money, what type of money that you'd have. Um, and it says that in Luke 19, if you ever want to go and read this, we're going to do tonight, that the more faithful we were in our Christian life, that when Christ returns, we'll have a different um, amount of authority in the kingdom as believers. Uh, and so if you read that, it's pretty clear. It's like literally the story in real quick synopsis. Synapse, synapsis is not right. Synopsis um, is there's a, this, the parable is there's a man who's a noble who goes off to get his kingdom, like to be 
and set it as king, and then he's going to come back. Some people come, and they're like, we don't want him as king, and they like rebel against him and like picket on his way to go become king. But before he goes, he tells his servants, hey, here's ten minas. Um, do work until I return. And he comes back, and he is now the king. Um, he's like, okay, before I do anything else, how are my servants doing? One of them was like, you give me ten, I made ten more. He's like, well done, good and faithful servant. You get, um, you're faithful in little, not be faithful in much. I give you ten cities to be over. Another servant was like, hey, you give me ten, I made five more. He's like, well done, right? You get, you get to be over five cities. And one person was like, I was, didn't think you were going to reward me. I didn't really, I was kind of scared of you because you were going to punish me if I messed up. So I didn't really do anything. He was like, what are you doing? Like, you worthless. Like, I gave you this stuff to do things. You didn't do anything with it. And so, you know what? I, I think what's happening there, honestly, is his that, uh, it's me, my thoughts. But I think he doesn't go to, go to the marriage supper. They said it was blessed who was invited to the marriage supper earlier. Who read that? I think that's what happens. Um, and then he says, okay, also, uh, bring in all those people who picketed against me that said they didn't want me as their king and slaughter them in my presence. So they are all killed. Uh, so I think that's what's happening. That, I mean, it's a pretty clear one-to-one ratio of what's happening with Christ. Um, so we see that from that Luke 19 parable that the more faithful we are to what he's given us in this life determines how much authority we're going to have in the kingdom when he returns. So these are all the people who are reigning with Christ for a thousand-year reign. So we have um, the we have us. We come down with him, right, with, uh, the armies of, with the armies of God. I don't think we do much fighting. It says that he uses his sword to kill everyone. So we come down. Old Testament saints are raised. People who died in the tribulation as believers are raised. But if you remember, the devil was chained for how long? 1,000 years. years. But it says he must be released. Look at verse 7. When the 1,000 years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and deliver them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they come up on the broad plain of the earth and surround the camp of the saints in the beloved city, that's Jerusalem. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet also are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Satan is released at the end of the thousand years. There are enough unbelievers at the end of 1,000 years that they are like the sand of the seashore. Now if you remember, when Christ returned, all the unbelievers are gathered around him to fight him, and he killed them all. So where do these unbelievers come from? So the kids people made it through. So people who made it through the tribulation, right? The seven-year time period. Christ literally came there to like deliver them from death because of how bad it was getting. Um, so he comes and he delivers them. They're still like mortal, like not glorified bodies at this point. And then they get to go into the kingdom. Like the 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 people that are being reigned over are those who survived the tribulation. They have kids, they have kids, those have kids, right? Go through. And then not all of them place their faith in Christ even though he's physically on the throne in Jerusalem. And we think, what are you doing? Like, how do you not do that? Like, if we had that, we'd all be believers. But then we see the Israelites in the Old Testament, and they had a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. And they're like, I want to go to Egypt, right? And it's like, are you kidding me, right? Evidence does not equal godliness. Sometimes we think it will, but it's a heart issue, not a mind issue. So, they surround Jerusalem, the sand of the seashore. They're there, and they're devoured by fire. Just 
gone. Um, Satan is thrown in the lake of fire with the Antichrist and the false prophet. And that is the end of the thousand year reign. We know a little bit more about it than what we've seen tonight. Um, it says, uh, if you've ever heard, like the lion and the lamb will lay down together, or the wolf and the lamb and the leopard and the goat all lay down together and are fine. This is actually talked about in Isaiah 11. And it's talking about this time period. It's talking about um, the thousand year reign. And so what that entails, first of all, I don't think a goat and a leopard are just going to be chilling and the goat's like eating, right? I mean, there's like there's not going to be that animosity between animals or something. I don't really know, um, but that's what we can tell. We saw tonight, though, that Jesus Christ will return to the earth after the end of the seven-year tribulation. The church will be with him and all those who place their faith in Jesus Christ um, since he ascended. He's going to defeat the army of the Antichrist, destroy the nations, um, the unbelievers, and set up his thousand-year kingdom. Those who have died for believing in Christ in the tribulation are raised to life and reign with him. Um, the faithful Christians, people who were alive in this time, who have died since Christ came the first time, um, those faithful ones will reign with Christ. The Old Testament saints are going to be raised, Old Testament believers are going to be raised to reign with Christ as well, where he sits on his throne in Jerusalem. He will be a fair and a just king, but people will still rebel against him. He'll eventually cast Satan into the lake of fire and will do away with evil once and for all. So what? <laughs> right? Well, I mean, this is all cool. Like, it's, I think it's really interesting. I think it's a, it's a future hope that we have. This is going to happen. Um, it's an encouragement for us to live lives. Um, but, like, what? why? Like, what's, what's the point? Well, first of all, we have a hope. No matter how bad this world gets, our God will prevail. He's told us the end. Uh, he's the Alpha, the Omega. He told us what will happen. He's the beginning and the end. Also, politics are corrupt. Anybody agree? Yeah, okay. Um, I, I saw some of you. Uh, <laughs> raise your hand. Um, there'll be a day when they won't be. There'll be a day whenever Christ is reigning and politics are not going to be corrupt. And that's going to be pretty cool, won't it? Um, but no matter how bad this world gets, our God will prevail. No matter what we see around us, we shouldn't have a sense of hopelessness but rather have a hope, a stronger hope in Christ in the day that he returns. Um, we, we sang the song Baby Son Tonight by John McMillan. And um, it talks about how we thought you would come with a, a crown of gold and a sword and all this armored God, but you didn't. You were just born to a virgin mother and um, not in a palace or anything, in a, in a manger, uh, a place in a manger. So that was the first coming, right? The next coming that's what all the Old Testament people were looking forward to on his first coming. They just didn't quite grasp the two comings, right? Um, so we have a hope that God will prevail. Next, how we reign with Christ then is determined by how we live now. So let's be pleasing to him. We get like one chance now to live this puny little life for God's glory. That's going to last, what, a hundred if you're lucky? Um, Well, ten times that, we're going to be serving with Christ. We're going to be in the kingdom. We're going to be there no matter what, but where do you want to be serving? I think we're going to be happy wherever we're at. I think we're going to be joyful wherever we're at. If we're a janitor at the lowest outpost of Christ's kingdom, I think we're going to be totally fine with that. But how much better would it be to be higher up, right? to be able to be serving with Christ, alongside Christ more. And that all de- determined by how we live now, how we serve Christ now. 
So <clears throat> because we are a small enough ministry and we can do this, uh, we're going to do an open discussion tonight. Just like any questions you have or comments about any of this. So any questions, any thoughts and comments on this? The time I should I think a lot of us have heard um, most of this before, too, um, and it's amazing, like you said, like it's just a mind-boggling thing that um, what Christ will do, and that's A, and then B, if we are faithful, that we'll get to serve with Him. Like those are massive concepts, um, and yet we still <laughs> just screw around every day, like we just don't live for Christ as we should. Mm-hmm. And so why do you think there's that discrepancy or how can we um, I don't know, live like that's true? Mm-hmm. I think for one thing is know that there are rewards. Like there are there is a a consequence, so to speak, in a good way for how you live your life. And there's a, a missing out of rewards if you don't live your life well. So I am, I mean, I'm, I'm bad at this. Like I love talking about this and talking about, you know, how the scripture fits together and how the end times work and all these things that we've seen. But I don't oftentimes think about that in my day-to-day life. And like, I want to be reigning with Christ. Like I want to be up there in charge of Stillwater, the greatest city in North America, right? Um, like, I was just in charge of still. Like, that'd be great, right? That'd be so cool. I mean, it'd be cool also to be doing, like, delivering the mail. Like, that'd be nice too. But it'd be even better to be able to have this responsibility that God has entrusted me with. But that all depends on, am I faithful with a little? Right? And so I remember um, when we were going through the parable, the meanest parable of talents, it was like someone was given, like, <coughs> a few talents. Um, it's a form, uh, measurement of money. And God was like, hey, faithful with little, I'll put you in charge of much. We looked up how much that little was, and it was like $800,000 in today's money. And you're like, oh, oh my goodness. I've been given like less than that little. And so am I faithful with that? Right? Faithful with what I've been given um, so that I can have that joy of serving alongside him. I mean, practically, read your Bible. Be in fellowship with people who are going to encourage you to live for Christ. It can be easy to get around some Christians who are Christians. And they're going to go to heaven. They're going to be there when all this is happening. But they may not be living their lives in a way that they're going to be um, serving alongside Christ as much. So make sure you're with people who are disciples who are faithfully following Christ. Um, And they're going to encourage you to also follow in that same way. Um, Pray to God. He'll give you encouragement and peace and joy whenever there seems to be no joy. I mean that stuff. One thing I was thinking along that line is that we put a lot of investment in this life, within temporal life. And I think I think almost every, every issue that we deal with on this earth is the, is the result of a focus of, of a improper focus, hmm. ultimately. Are we focusing on God? Or are we focusing on our struggles? Are we focusing on ourselves? And thing is, if we're focusing on God, that means that we're, we would be looking forward. We wouldn't be looking at this present time. We wouldn't be looking at the past. We'd be looking forward. We'd be looking mm-hmm. forward to his kingdom. 
and I think about all the things that we do throughout day to day. Like, I focus on today just as much as anybody else. And I focus a lot, I, I have a lot of goals and dreams that I really want to happen in this lifetime. And I have lots of stuff that I invest in now for hopes of being able to do that in the immediate future. But how much of us think about what about all the things that we want to pursue in the eternal, right, in the thousand year kingdom and in the eternal kingdom and the new heavens and the new earth? What things do we want to do there? What, what do we want to pursue there? Where do we want to be seated when it comes to the thousand year reign? Mm -hmm. And like we do, all, we have all these goals and these pursuits, but investments, but how much do we invest in what will never end? Mm -hmm. What does Proverbs um, 3, 5, and 6 say? What was that? All your ways acknowledge him who will guide your path, right? Um, I think it goes along with James 4 when he talks about uh, you. He's telling these people like, hey, y'all are like, we're going to go to this city. We're going to make a whole bunch of money. And he's like, what are you doing? Your life is a vapor. Like what you should say is if the Lord wills and we live, we'll go to this city and we will make do these things basically. And I think that is kind of what it entails to acknowledge God in all of our ways, right? Like, hey, if the Lord wills and live, then I'll do this. And then you're thinking about, well, what is the Lord willing to do? And there's some things in Scripture that are God's will. Some people try to focus too much on, like, what's God's will for me? Like, should I go to this school? Should I go to this school? I mean, like, there might be God's will for you in that specific circumstance that He can reveal to you. But we also have a whole bunch of things that are very specifically revealed to us in scripture about God's will for our lives that we just kind of like glaze over and like yeah I know I shouldn't do that okay cool but whatever and go on but what about school where should I go and it's like do this right uh, be faithful in what he's given us um, it also reminds me of what you were talking about Second Corinthians 5 comes out and says for know that if, in, if the earthly tent which is our house is torn down we have a building from God a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens for indeed in this house we groan longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven inasmuch as it having put it on we will not be found naked for indeed while we're in this tent we groan being burdened we don't want to be unclothed but to be clothed so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life um, talks about this this idea of like we're in this little tent and we're like trying to make this tent the best tent ever it's like it's going to be torn away one day and we're going to be realize that we're in a house and we weren't pushing anything out of the flap of the tent to invest in the house right we were just focused on the inside of the tent and it goes on later on it says um therefore being of good courage and knowing that while we're at home in the body we're absent from the lord we walk by faith not by sight we are of good courage i say but for rather to be absent from the body to be at home with the lord therefore this is the key we have as our ambition whether at home or absent to be pleasing to him Pleasing to him means we're investing in that home, investing in that future that we have with him. So, same like along the lines of, in a contrast, like the average person, myself included, be like, oh, I, so I get going, like, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to get this degree, I'm going to learn everything that I can about this thing so I can be the most skilled at, my, at the thing I do. And when I get this, when I get this degree, then I'm going to go out and get this great job. It's going to pay a lot of money. I'm going to be doing what I love to do. I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to invest it. I'm going to like, have property. I'm going to do all these things with it. And yeah, I'm going to glorify God in all those things that I do. Versus 
I'm going in college right now, and I'm like seeking to glorify everyone I do and be a witness to everyone that's around me and seeing to love everyone around me so that when I'm gone, not only will I have given everything I have and have been had loose hands on everything that I owned and was giving everything that I had for God's glory, not only that will I be greatly rewarded, but then all the people that are left behind that knew me will be like, what did that guy have that I didn't have? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes we can think that, uh, actually, from my own past, I got my um, degree in mechanical engineering because I knew I liked to help people. I liked the Bible, like Jesus. Uh, I was a fan of Jesus. Um, And um, I was pretty good at science and math. And I was like, well, engineering, and then I'll just do third world missions. That's what my goal was going into college, was that. Um, And then after a couple years, a few years in that, I kind of was realizing maybe I was meshing like my goals and God's goals for me together and trying to like compromise. Yeah, we'll just do this and then I'll go forward kind of thing. Um, when all reality, like I, I think I was, I knew when I was like 11, I felt like I was called to do some sort of full-time ministry and I don't think it was engineering. Now, I could listen to this podcast, you know, in the future and be like, wow, I thought I wouldn't do engineering. Um, and I'm doing engineering. But, you know, as of right now, I, I, no worries, called me to, but it was that kind of meshing of like, oh yeah, and God too. I'll add him into my equation rather than putting him first and just saying, do with me what I will. Yeah. Uh, I like this topic of like bettering yourself for question mark, like for yourself or for God. Mm-hmm. Um, now, a verse that has stuck out to me recently um, is Ecclesiastes 4 4. Now, keep in mind, this is Ecclesiastes we're talking about here, but. It says, uh, Solomon writes, Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. Mm-hmm. This also is vanity and a striving after God. Again, Ecclesiastes. But, like, the idea of just, are we working to get better at something for God or for literally any other reason? Mm-hmm. Right? Because if you're trying to be good at something, why? Like, what's 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 the drive there? Yeah. Anyone find it hard to have that mindset in your schoolwork? Yeah. Like, okay, I'm doing this Python coding class, and it's 2 a.m., and I'm trying to do it for God, right? I'm trying to love my neighbor and love God. And it's like, how do I do this for God's glory, right? Um, I think Ecclesiastes gave me actually the best mindset when I was in college. I went from being like, it's 2 a.m. and I'm doing homework and this is awful um, to being like, you know what? In a thousand years, I'm not going to care about having to stay up late or having to do these things. What I'm going to care about is that I glorify God in my work, that I do the best that I could with what he's given me. Right? And that's what I'm going to actually care about in 3,000 years or whatever when I'm long gone off. Well, maybe off this earth. I guess I'll be maybe on this earth. I don't know. God's timeline, but we'll see. Um, not saying I'm going to live that long. I'm just saying, yeah. Um, but that, Ecclesiastes was a good mindset, I think, for college. Because college can get pretty down. And you can kind of relate to Solomon in a lot of ways. College. Yes. All is meaningless. So. Any questions on this topic or anything else? Comments? I was just going to say, you told me this a few days ago, <laughs> um, but just, I've been having a hard time 
remembering the Lord throughout my day mm. um, because it feels like my day is just full of thinking about other things or trying to think about other things. Um, and you're like, well, God wants to be remembered. Like, that's, He wants that from you. Um, and why don't you just ask Him to remind you of Him mm. throughout the day? Because that's what He wants to do. Um, and I, that changed a lot of my mentality because on my own strength, I would not think of him because mm. there's just too many other things going on. Um, and so if we bring him into that, then moving forward, like having him remind us of himself, <laughs> um, I think will help us <coughs> in the process of being faithful um, and, and ultimately getting those rewards. Mm. So, I remember telling you that like um, I, I was thinking about scripture Old Testament and especially I was like and then God remembered so and so God remembered his people Israel he remembered Abraham he remembered all these things and it's like God didn't forget so I was like oh, oh yeah Abraham don't kill your son Isaac right um, he like was obviously present like he, he knew what was going on but remembering is a big deal in scripture um, and I find that like this, this is not at all like a, a bragging boasting because I'm still like an infant knowing about the Bible but I know a lot of facts about the Bible and a lot of Bible trivia a lot of things about it but it's hard to remember that day to day like as I'm in a situation to remember oh yeah I should apply this thing I learned two years ago right now and I'm glad that praying for reminders has worked for you I'm hoping it works for me better <laughs> but I, uh, so obviously when I'm out sharing the gospel, I get so like excited and I start to like overshare and go past the gospel. Mm. If I'm like, and then we're, you know, like, and there's going to be the rapture and then the tribulation, that sucks. But you know, like if you, you know, the gospel, right. I'm like, we're going to be gone. Um, I'm like, you know, hope you're not there. But, and then I'm like, I'm like then there's a thousand year kingdom. And that's where I was like, that's where those works come. Right, where it's like you're, the good things you do get your rewards and stuff, and I'm like, and then I'm like, oh wait, they don't, they don't even know. Like you know, to them, it sounds like I'm just a crazy person. Yeah, and they're just, you know, like, but I'm just, I get so like excited that I'm just like, boom, boom, boom. I'm like, okay. I'm like, I gotta reel it back. I yeah, like, because then I'm like, you know, steer them away. There's, there is a um. There's a passage that says we persuade men. Right? New Testament. I don't remember it's at the New Testament. It says that we persuade men so that they'd be saved, basically. Um, sometimes we could say, are we trying to persuade people to be saved? And we're like, no. And it's like the Bible says we persuade men, right? Like we literally, our goal, but it's not persuading as in like, we're not like crafty. Like, come on. It's like, get you persuade, right? Like, yeah, I use car salesman, yeah. But like, hey, you need a car. <laughs> Slick back hair, right? Uh, <laughs> you want to be saved, um, I am going to post a meme about like, something that reminded me of okay anyways um, but yeah it's not like craftiness of like persuading or persuasion in that way it's like okay you believe these things well here's what the truth is and like I, I'm trying to persuade you to place your faith in Christ right um, and there are not things we hold back on in the sense of like 
when you get more mature, then we'll talk to you about this because that's like a cult. Um, but um, but <laughs> there are things you wouldn't necessarily bring up. I'm not like, no, straight in Christ. No, no, don't go James. If you go James 2, it's a little confusing, so make sure that you like, explain all of James 2 when you're trying to tell someone about Christ. So they could be like a little confused there maybe. Or like, okay, I know Leviticus is weird, but here's what Leviticus 3.20 means. And you're like, you're just telling them the gospel, right? Don't go into that kind of stuff in that moment. Um, ultimately, the gospel is simple, right? It's Christ came, was with perfect life. He died to pay for sin, rose to conquer death, and he offers eternal life to anyone. Um, if they believe in him, they have eternal life. Have a few verses you can quote, right? That's a gospel. Um, you can t- continue talking about it if you need to stuff. But yeah, it, I, I've been there before where it's just like you're excited about things. So you just keep on going. It's like, Maybe I should like back off. So. Anything else? <coughs> Thought I was a. Okay. Well, if you have any other questions, feel free to come and talk to me. Uh, if you can't tell. I like this subject, um, so um, I think it's. I just think it's really cool that we have a hope, um, like that. Ultimately, that is where our hope comes from. I used to think that heaven was, you'd go up and you'd be in the clouds for eternity. You never come back to earth to have another earth to go to. Just in the clouds, walking around, maybe streets of gold. I guess were somewhere. I don't really understand how that worked. There's a big pearly gate, and Peter was sitting outside of it, right? Um, which we're gonna get into this later on. But actually, the pearly gates idea comes from the gates are a literal pearl is the gate for readers or brightness. Um, there are, like, it, it's so much more hopeful than that. We're going to be serving with Christ. Uh, I personally think that the spiritual gifts that he gives us now, we're going to be able to utilize in the kingdom, in the eternal state, um, whatever that may be. Uh, and, like, that's a lot better than just, like, sitting around, smiling, talking to this person, maybe talking to that person sometimes. Like, isn't it so great? Like, it'll be cool to actually be serving Christ. Um, I, I'm just excited, so... Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this passage, uh, these passages that we see uh, tonight. I pray that um, we would not just look at this as uh, a list of facts to memorize.